Hey friend, thanks so much for stopping by for some community time around the fire pit. I've got some Tennessee white oak going. I'm going to run inside and get us both a cup of joe. Well, you're listening to Quad Dot Rocks, God the World and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, you got it, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is episode 218, title, Living the Separated Life. Subtitle, How to Be in the World but Not of the World. The world despises the nonconformity of nonconformity or the dissidence of dissent. It would have us to be more charitable and not carry matters with too severe a hand. Death to the world and burial with Christ are experiences which carnal, fleshly minds treat with ridicule and contempt. Instead, the way and wisdom of the world recommends the path of compromise and talks of moderation. According to this carnal policy, the depravity of the world has come to the point where purity is no longer desirable or celebrated. Modern culture warns against being too precise. Truth is no longer considered a fixed and noble thing, and error is not to be severely denounced. Yes, says the world, be spiritually minded by all means, but do not deny yourself the endless pursuit of celebration. What's the good of bad-mouthing a thing when it's so fashionable and everybody does it? Multitudes of professors yield to this cunning advice to their own eternal ruin. If we would follow the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we must go right away into the wilderness of separation and leave the carnal world behind us. We must leave its principles, its pleasures, and its religion too, and go far away to the place where the Lord calls His sanctified ones. We are sanctified if we are Christians because we have been made clean in the sacrificial blood of Christ the Lamb. Friend, when the town is on fire, our house cannot be too far from the flames. When the plague is abroad, a person cannot be too far from its haunts. The further from a viper, the better, and the further from worldly conformity, the better. To all true believers, let the trumpet call be sounded, as the Apostle Paul did to the church at Corinth. He said, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Just as God, through the prophet Isaiah, commanded the people of Israel to forsake any idolatrous habits they absorbed while they were in exile in Egypt and return to the promised land, the Apostle Paul takes these familiar words and gives it meaning in a fresh context in his words to the Christians living in the carnal culture of the city of Corinth. He commanded the Corinthian believers to lay aside the idolatry and sexual immorality that they were so steeped in by virtue of living in that cultural cesspool of Corinth. How is it possible to come out and be separate while living in such a filthy culture as the United States of America? Wow, you, you might be blown away by that last statement I made, but my friend, the United States of America is a filthy culture. In the verses preceding this commandment to separate, he gives us the roadmap to separation. The roadmap is in the form of five rhetorical questions. In a rhetorical question, the answer is already implied by the structure of the question, and the answer to these five questions is none or nothing. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-16, through 16, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. 
For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. If we are to live the separated life that God demands, we must, number one, remember what we are. We are the temple of the living God. God has taken up residency in the human bodies of people who have been born again in Jesus Christ by the person of His indwelling Holy Spirit. I think one reason so little has been said and spoken of regarding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is to minimize the reality that God is not just seated on His throne in heaven. He literally is seated on His throne in mine and your physical body, if we know Jesus. That is a huge concept that we can get our minds around only by the power and holy word of God, which tells us this is the truth and that it is so. Number two, as the real temple of the Holy Spirit of the living God, we must abandon idolatrous compromise and jettison the idea put forth by ancient philosophers and codified by the immoralist Oscar Wilde, who said everything in moderation, including moderation. We must not use the grace of God as a license to sin. Number three, we must guard our minds, hearts, and souls against becoming too close or connected with unbelievers. This does not mean to not be a friend to lost people. The only way we can reach anyone with the good news of Jesus is to be their friend. Jesus was a friend to sinners. He visited the home of Zacchaeus, that tax collector who was an outcast from the Jewish society because he was a traitor collecting taxes for the government of Rome. Jesus quotes the common accusations made about him in his time. He said, they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You find that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. The key identifier here is in the word, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. Greek language scholar A.T. Robertson writes that in the Greek language, it reads literally, stop becoming unequally yoked with unconverted believers. As Christians, we must not be mismatched in our associations. The Apostle Paul said, stop becoming unequally yoked with unconverted believers, which means in Corinth, some Christians were already guilty. Marriage certainly is included here in the idea, but other unions may be in mind. Paul's five questions help us distinguish the contrast between showing ourselves friendly like Christ and wrong, damaging associations. So question number one, what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? The answer, none. In other words, how can a person who does right and one who does wrong join in a partnership? Partnership here is a relationship involving shared purposes and activity. Question number two, asked by the Apostle Paul, what fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer, none. Fellowship means an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. Close association or fellowship. Friend, the day has nothing in common with the night. The third question asked by the Apostle Paul, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Of course, the answer is none. Agreement here implies a type of joint decision. The stark absurdity of the interpersonal connection is heightened by Paul's use of the word Belial, which is one of the names for Satan. Question number four that we need to ask ourselves, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The answer, nothing. 
we see here the distinction of faith versus the absence of faith. Question number five, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Here Paul double emphasizes the illogicalness of joining in close proximity and agreement with an unbeliever through the gross concept of filling the temple of our holy God with worldly idols. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, Paul gives us a personal checklist to see if we are dancing with the world. Are we sexually immoral? Are we morally impure? Are we promiscuous? Are we idolatrous? Are we involved in witchcraft, new age practices, or what some call the dark arts? Are we filled with hatreds? Are we a bastion of strife? Are we known by others as a jealous person? Would others say we are prone to outbursts of anger? Do our daily priorities model selfish ambitions? Are our relationships riddled full of dissensions, factions, and envy? Do we get drunk or carouse around or anything similar? Drunkenness and carousing usually go hand in hand. I've got a question to ask you. Do we even know what carousing means anymore? A carousing lifestyle has become so common it does not evoke a negative sense or understanding. For many Americans, including a lot of people in the local churches, carousing is the norm. We may label it as going to hear a local band in your local favorite restaurant, but friend, if the band is in the back in a separate room and there is a bar in that room, my friend, you're carousing in a bar. I tried that angle once in a well-intended effort to try and reach family members for Jesus who frequented the bars. I would not go and listen to their quote-unquote favorite bands at a clearly identified bar, or one of the new common words that makes it sound more appetizing is pub. Then they talked me into going to the local Italian restaurant where one of their bands was playing. The band was at the restaurant in the back room where the bar was located. It could have cost me my life. My friend, I am not exaggerating to you with the story I'm about to share. In the back door walked a motorcycle gang. In today's culture, a bunch of Harleys pulling up may be medical doctors and CEOs. Harleys cost a lot of money. The lead man was older, clean, handsome, and appeared to be a business professional. I saw them enter, tagged them as rich weekend motorcycle warriors, and kept listening to the man. Just prior to their entry, a friend of my family member had entered the same back door and came and sat next to me. He was still in recovery from a critical fall off of a roof of a home that he was working on that almost killed him. He was not even supposed to be driving, but he came to hear the band because he himself had been a band leader for decades. All of a sudden, one of the bikers came up and punched the injured man and accused him of eyeing his girlfriend, totally unprovoked. And the thug biker couldn't have chosen a weaker prey. Just when it appeared total mayhem was getting ready to ensue, some of the bikers pulled him off. My wife got up and said she was leaving. She had warned me about this type of thing. I had ignored her warnings in an effort to be, quote-unquote, all things to all men to my family member. I was terribly wrong. My wife asked me, didn't you see the patch they all had on their vests? I said, no, I didn't notice any patch. She told me what the patch said. When we got to the car, I looked it up. The gang that came through the back door of that restaurant was the Booze Fighters, also known as the original Wild Bunch, an outlaw motorcycle gang of very dangerous proportions. And my friend, since that event happened, as I was preparing for this podcast, 
I looked up information about them on the web and my how their description has changed. And you would think that they were now model citizens in the community. It's an absolute lie. They're considered one of the one percenters. The American Motorcycle Association, in an effort to distance themselves from the concept of thuggery with motorcycles, makes the claim that all of the motorcycles gang make up just 1% of all the people who own motorcycles and that 99% of the people who own motorcycles are law-abiding. My friend, no more compromise. No more restaurant backrooms just to please a person I'm trying to reach. The famous singer Ann Wilson, the lead singer for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band Heart, was here in concert recently in Nashville. I really would have liked to have seen her. I've been a Heart fan since I was a teenager, and she has an amazing voice. But upon checking further into the venue, I found out it's a bar. Nope, never again. Friend, you can call it a concert venue, but it isn't. It's a bar that hosts musical acts. Bars host the acts to sell alcohol. The act is the draw. Alcohol pays the bills. The push from the world, compromise, moderation, relax your standards. You're too rigid. It's time for it to go. It's time for you and I to remove ourselves and to go away to that place of separation before Almighty God. Proverbs 13.20 summarizes the five questions this way. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Friend, our Heavenly Father is not the cosmic killjoy who wants to squash all of our quote-unquote fun. His commandment for us to live separate lives is because that is what it takes for us to enjoy His presence in this life in all its fullness. The five questions end with this statement and promise from God. God says this, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. What more can we possibly ask for or want? And with that, my friend, I bid you peace. Peace.